Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. It didn't take long, did it? Democrats can't get along for very long because they have to they have to coordinate a fraud, a dishonesty against the American people, which is the pretense that the Democrat Party does not want things that it clearly does. So let's understand this as we look right now at the the battle that is playing out between Pelosi and AOC, really, which is remarkable, isn't it? You have a woman who should have retired years ago, who is a a ruthless and power mad limousine liberal versus among the dumbest members of Congress, but also the most powerful, which is stunning. But all you have to be as a Democrat, as we see with AOC, is a proper demagogue. Say what gets the mob riled up, use wokeness and far left identity politics and socialism to convince people that what they would know from history, what they would know from actually understanding not just the past of this country, but of many other countries, is that collectivism and central planning, the twin pillars of failure for socialism, do not get better. It will not work. It will not make us happier, healthier, safer. No, it just empowers those who are seeking exactly that and make sure that the rest of us have less freedom, fewer decisions of our own to make. Now, Pelosi can't go forward with that agenda right away. She's supposed to be part of this old guard of Democrats, along with Joe Biden, who make the promise implicit and and explicit to the American people that don't worry, we're not as crazy as those socialists. We've got we've got control over the people within our party, the AOC wing, the squad and Bernie Sanders. Let's understand it's not just an, an age thing. It's an ideology thing. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are also two of the most powerful members of Congress on the Democrat side, and they're very much ideologically aligned on this. But what you have is a socialist insurgency from within the Democrat Party's ranks. And now that they've gotten at least to this stage where they believe they've won the election, although states have not certified, states are still counting, as we know, they have to come out with how do you make your radical left-wing base happy while not showing the American people from the very beginning that they were essentially swindled, that good old blue-collar Joe who you know you can trust, Joe Biden's not going to let anything bad happen to this country. That blue collar Joe is really a red or is going to do the bidding of the reds, the commies, the left. That's what they're trying to avoid at this stage, at least. They have to wait until they have the media do a whole lot of softening up of the battlefield for their more left wing ideas, convince us that. Well, when Biden makes a turn toward, let's say, Medicare for all. I mean, Joe Biden talked about this health care plan all the time. What exactly? All they do is just say it'll, it'll protect pre-existing conditions. No joke, period. That, that's all he, I remember him ever saying. What exactly makes it better? What does it do? Oh, he's going to create a public option. A public option is just a different approach to getting us to Medicare for all. The way the Democrats will structure it, the public option will be an enormous 
net loss, right? So it's not going to be self-sustaining as a program, and it's just going to be taxpayer dollars going into shore it up. And so what it becomes, effectively, is a much more expensive version of Medicaid without any income requirements or with, with much, much a higher level uh, income requirements. So people who are, let's say, making the average household income will qualify for this public option plan. How many businesses do you think will throw off their private empl- their private health care plans uh, for their own employees because of the enormous savings? Wh- why do they want to carry that cost? They're not going to want to do that. They're going to say, okay, go with the public option. That's why we all pay taxes, right? So understand that the Democrats are just trying to figure out how they sell now a vision of the future to the American people that isn't scary, but in the long term, they want to do the same things that AOC and the socialist left wants. So it's not that Nancy Pelosi has some big ideological objection to the kinds of socialism that are being pushed here. It's not that. It's that Nancy Pelosi is trying to keep this whole thing together so she can be elected Speaker of the House. And you'll notice that Republicans don't have this problem. Republicans uh, don't have some wing, some faction, a very powerful. We're not talking about three or four people we're ta- that no one's ever heard of in, in Congress. When you look at the squad, AOC, and the socialist insurgency from within the Democrat ranks, it's among the most powerful, from a media angle, it's the most potent thing they have. <clears throat> and Republicans, for their part, argue about tactics, but, but overall, the strategy for America is, is the same. There's, there's not a huge wing of the GOP. When you talk about uh, you know, a conservative caucus, you talk about those members of the, of the GOP specifically, in the uh, or rather of the House specifically that are in the GOP. They don't try to push for ideas that are radically at odds with or contradict what Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are saying. They're all just trying to row the boat in the same direction. Democrats have a different issue. They have a different situation. And it's because part of what they're doing is incrementalism toward socialism. That's that's the Pelosi approach. And if you look over the last 20 years, you have more and more government spending, government control, government involvement in health care. And they understand that as people become increasingly aware of what the long term plan is, the government taking more of your money and controlling more of your life. That's what the Democrats offer. Central planning and collectivism. That is the central ethos of what they're trying to do. It's just a question of the speed, right? Joe Biden on fracking is a perfect example of this. You say you're going to ban fracking next year and you're going to lose key states. So Joe Biden had to back away from that, even though you got to say that to make the left wing base happy with you because they really believe that fracking, which is an enormous blessing for all of us, for this country, for our economy. But they've been led to believe that fracking is going to destroy their drinking water and ruin the planet and, and all kinds of stuff, right? So what does Joe Biden do? What, what's the compromise you get from the old guard Democrats, right? The old guard Democrats. They, they say, well, we're going to ban fracking in 50 years. Now, 
That's essentially what they have to say right now, or 30 years, whatever it is that Joe Biden says, right? That's what they have to say right now to try to win at the national level. To fool, unfortunately, enough people in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and these other states that we've seen, and I told you along, it'd be about a half a dozen states, it'd be a very close election. So while I, not yet, can I say that I was wrong on who won the election, because we don't know, but if you look at the overall trajectory of this race, I've got to say, it was very close. It was a half a dozen states. And I did say he'd win Florida and Ohio, and he did. I still think he's probably going to end up with Pennsylvania. That's what I think the, the game changer will be. But nonetheless, Democrats have to lie about who they really are and what they're really trying to do in order to win those states, in order to win persuadable voters. And so that's why this socialist insurgency from within their ranks is problematic when they say things like, let's make Elizabeth Warren Treasury Secretary, you know, AOC was putting this out on social media today. Let's let's have Bernie Sanders be, I I don't know, the Secretary of Defense. That would be interesting. We're not going to war ever. Uh, actually, that would be nice. But and then we'd also have a Department of Peace, right? He'd, he'd come up with all kinds of ideas that would not make a whole lot of a lot of sense. But the left will go along with it because Bernie Sanders is their favorite right now. Although AOC will soon be taking that over, she has not already. But the Democrats now are playing with fire and they know it because we just had an election and they promised us a return to normalcy and that Joe Biden, Joe Biden with his big, slimy politician grin. You know, it's really what this guy's whole life has just been about sounding the right way and having the right smile. You know, I'm just one of the folks it's riding my choo choo to work. Joe Biden, that's really been his career. And if before he even takes office, if he takes office, I don't want to have to keep saying that I this election is not over, but we'll have updates for you on that. But really, in the meantime, they can't let you know that the Democrat Party is a socialist party now. It's just a question of the speed they plan on getting there. It's just a matter of of tactical differences right now, and that has to do mostly with how fast they want to go. But they're looking at the same destination. That is what Nancy Pelosi's trying to hold back right now. And, of course, she wants, for her own purposes, she wants two more years as Speaker of the House. And this woman cannot get enough. Isn't it fascinating? These politicians, they don't tire of this. I think they become obsessed with it. I think Joe Biden is just another example of that. They need the attention. They need the power. They don't view this as public service. It's self-service. It's helping themselves and pretending to be helping other people. That's really what the goal is. And that's true of many politicians, and it's true on both sides of the aisle, but it's particularly egregious among Democrats like this. I think it's funny. People keep saying, I see this all over uh, the Internet. Oh, you know, what's Trump going to do now? First of all, I think Trump is going to continue to run, uh, meaning, one, he's going to fight this battle to the end to see if, in fact, he really did win this election. And two, I think that the president isn't going anywhere. I think he realizes that he has a political movement now to steward. And even if he did decide that he was going to pass this on, perhaps, to his children, to Eric and Don Jr. and Ivanka to continue on, which is a distinct possibility, yeah, the guy's going to go back to being a billionaire who does whatever he wants and plays a lot of golf. Yeah, he'll be fine. But people like Pelosi, people like uh, Joe Biden, they don't know who they are without this. I mean, if Meet the Press isn't asking them to be on once in a while, 
they feel like what purpose do they really have? And so there's that wing of the party. And then there's the radical, uh, the radical wing of the socialists with the Democrat Party who understand the game. They know they need that apparatus of the elites along with them. And this is often the case. If you look at the history of, of revolutions in various states, you have that intelligentsia, the hardline intelligentsia, and they'll often try to work with big government, big business. They'll work within the established structure if they can to put themselves in power. They usually don't push them out. They don't overturn that entire established order. They'd rather co-opt it. And this is the struggle that you see going on right now with the Democrat Party. And all I can tell you is it's only been a matter of days since the election. And we already see that some of the central themes, central promises of Joe Biden's whatever it is right now, temporary uh, lead, uh, hopefully, in the Electoral College was a result of misrepresenting what the Democrats are all about now. They have a socialist insurgency that they cannot really control because that's where the Democrat Party is going, friends. And we all see it. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. The people who push this hysteria could not have more egg on their face than they do right now. None of their demands became law. None of them. The Speaker of the House did not get to personally rewrite election law. And yet, because of the sensible bipartisan steps that some of us championed, our defenses and countermeasures proved to be radically, in radically better shape than back in 2016. So it's time. Let's talk about where we are now. According to preliminary results, voters across the nation elected and re-elected Republican senators to a degree that actually stunned prognosticators. Likewise, the American people seem to have reacted to House Democrats' radicalism and obstruction by shrinking the Speaker's majority and electing more Republicans. And yet, here we are being told by the media that this was a resounding success and shows how popular Democrat ideas are. Of course, that's absurd. All that we had here was the perfect storm of unbelievable, unhinged, universal media hatred of Trump. I mean, the orange, orange man, uh, orange man, bad uh, menace. You know, that was what was really such an issue here. Orange man, bad. He's so terrible. And all of a sudden. We look around and see what what ideas are Democrats really running on? What de- defund the police? Does someone want to try that again? We want to have that debate one more time. Defund the police. No, it turns out that uh, white suburban women who we were told by pollsters hated Trump. No, actually, they, they did pretty well for Trump this time around. That was one of the reasons the polls were so far off, because when people see riots on the streets and a party of abject cowards or people that are just egging this on they like this idea of the riots in the streets that's what the democrats were all summer they didn't call it out we could all see it joe biden and kamala harris are very very delicate whenever they touch on the issue of the democrat riots and antifa joe biden will not call out antifa it's just an idea man it's not period it's not really a not really a organization that's a domestic terrorist organization that's what they'll tell us 
But the good news is that we have Mitch McConnell here who has been holding the line, has done a, a fantastic job on judges. And I know it's easy to easy to pick on Mitch for some things. And it's fair. It's fair to say that he's an establishment guy. I know people in the past used to call him a rhino. I look at Mitch McConnell and say, guys, he he has not backed down an inch on judges, on putting constitutionalist judges all across federal courts up to the Supreme Court and and has never once on those issues had a Jeff Flake moment where it's, oh, I don't know, I'm scared, I don't want people to say mean things. So give Mitch McConnell some credit. And if we win these Georgia Senate seats uh, for Leffler and Purdue, then at least we'll be in a position to blunt the worst aspects, the most socialist and collectivist aspects of the Democrat agenda going forward. And I think that's, that's an important place for us to be in, because otherwise we're going to have some real problems. And, and even Mitch, you know, who's a very, uh, very, shall we say, I mean, we call him cocaine Mitch as a joke. He's a clear thinker. He's a pretty calm guy. He points out that the media doesn't get to declare who won the election. Play 13. If any major irregularities occurred this time of a magnitude that would affect the outcome, then every single American should want them to be brought to light. And if Democrats feel confident they have not occurred, they should have no reason to fear any extra scrutiny. We have the tools and institutions we need to address any concerns. The president has every right to look into allegations and to request recounts under the law. And notably, the Constitution gives no role in this process to wealthy media corporations. The projections and commentary of the press do not get veto power over the legal rights of any citizen, including the president of the United States. That's critical. doesn't matter how many news organizations call this. They're just giving you their analysis until the states certify, until these legal challenges are done. The process is not done. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. I've been telling you it's not over yet. Now we have somebody who could tell us just what that means. We have Tim Murtaugh with us. He is the director of communications for the Trump campaign. Tim, great to have you back. Great to be with you, Buck. Thanks for having me again. Tell me, my friend, what is going on right now? You got people out there that are saying that this is all over. I know the campaign's position is we're still very much in it. What's happening? Yeah, this this election is not over. And think about it this way. Seventy and a half million people voted for President Trump last Tuesday, and uh, he owes it to them to explore every avenue. And there are legal uh, avenues of recourse available. There are recounts available in multiple states. And so the president is going to do that to ensure and to make sure, because people deserve to know this, that our elections are free, fair, safe and secure. And it's not just the 70 and a half million people that voted for President Trump. It's everybody who voted for Joe Biden. They deserve fair elections, too. And it's not just this election. It's every election, the ones moving forward and all that. We have ample reason to believe there are glaring irregularities, I'm sorry, uh, in state after state after state, examples of dead people voting, uh, people being ordered to backdate a mail-in ballots so that they would be illegally accepted as real votes. Uh, we see voting anomalies in all kinds of states and, and real disparate treatment 
that has led us to go into court in a couple of states, uh, Pennsylvania yesterday, we're going to be filing in Michigan later today, that the way that these elections were run were uh, inconstitutional, unconstitutional, and, and it's not proper, and we have to absolutely pursue these courses. And I know that the media wants to turn a blind eye to it. Remember, these are the people who told us that there is no such thing as voter fraud. And now they've moved the goalposts, and now they're saying, well, sure, there's some fraud, but it's probably not enough. And they don't even want to look into it. So we have to do that. And the way that we do it is through these court filings. It's not something that's going to be wrapped up in time for the 6 o'clock news. This is a gradual process, and people are going to have to have patience. And as we go through these court cases and go through discovery in these court cases, we are going to uncover things. And we, we're bringing examples with us already in court, but we intend to uncover more. Uh, and as we get further on down the line, um, we believe that the president still has a great chance to be successful and be reelected. Tim, I know there are multiple challenges in, in a whole bunch of different states right now. And as you pointed out, this is not going to be a, a quick and easy process, but it's an important process. People do need to know that elections in this country are free and fair. Can you just give us a sense of what, what are some of the most compelling legal challenges in a, in a couple of the states that the campaign has brought so far? Just, just so we understand, you know, for example, I've heard people say, well, there, there are dead individuals voting. And then online you'll see, well, that's just if they don't have a DOB on record for somebody. That's what some voting districts do. I mean, is that true? I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of bad information out there. So give us a sense of what some of the compelling cases that have already been brought are. Sure. And I would urge, you just alluded to it, I would urge people not to base uh, every opinion that they have on this based on what they see on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we're trying to uh, weed through those and, and get the real examples. And through our own due diligence, yeah, dead people really did vote. Uh, in Nevada, specifically, one area that we focused on, people registered to vote while dead, uh, requested a ballot while dead, and mailed that ballot in while dead. And I know that modern medical science has come a long way, but I don't think we're quite that far along the trail just yet. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, where we filed yesterday, uh, it's actually a very serious, uh, we believe, violation of constitutional rights under, one, the uh, Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, also Elections and Electors Clause of the Constitution, uh, because the way that people were treated in their voting in Pennsylvania was different based on where and when they voted. If you voted in person in Pennsylvania, which was, of course, the majority of uh, Trump voters voted in person on Election Day, you had to sign voter registration and have those signatures checked against the voter rolls to make sure you were who you say you were. Uh, the polling place was monitored by legally required authorized poll observers and have their votes counted in a transparent, verifiable, open process. If you voted by mail, 2.65 million votes were cast by mail in Pennsylvania. If, if one of those votes cast by mail, no ID was required, no adequate verification of the voter's identity. The Secretary of State and the partisan state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania actually effectively moved Election Day by three days. State law in Pennsylvania requires that ballots must be received. That's the key word, received by Election Day uh, in Pennsylvania, the Secretary of State and the state Supreme Court moved that back three days and said, well, you know, we can get those in uh, three days later. And that's not to say they'd have to be postmarked. 
by election day. No, they just have to be received now, three days later, regardless of when they were postmarked. So there's all kinds of things we were we were uh, rejected. Our our poll watchers, our poll observers were evicted from various polling locations in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. They are required by law to allow our people in there to observe the opening of ballots and the counting process. So people were treated differently in Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia versus other parts of, of uh, Pennsylvania based on whether our poll watchers were allowed in. And they were also treated differently based on whether they voted in person or whether they voted by mail. Those are serious violations uh, of the Equal Protection Clause and the uh, Elections and Electors Clauses of, of the Constitution. And what we're asking for is, is, to, is for a court to enjoin the Secretary of the Commonwealth in Pennsylvania, Kathy Bookbar, from certifying the election until we've had a chance to examine the ballots as we are entitled to under the law. And we're talking about at least 642,000 ballots from specifically Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And that's, that's what we want to do. We want that they should not certify the election until we have allowed, are allowed to have access to them as required by law. And let's, let's remember that at this moment, Joe Biden has been certified the winner in exactly zero states. None. This election is not over. It's not over technically, and it's not over practically. Uh, and remember that all throughout the course of the election, uh, through the campaign, when everybody was talking about polls, everybody leaned on the real clear politics average. That was like the gold standard. That's the one that will tell us what the real story is. Well, today, real clear politics lists that Joe Biden has won 259 electoral votes. That's not 270, right? And even in those 259, he hasn't been certified the winner anywhere. So this election is not over. We're speaking to Tim Murtaugh, communications director for the Trump campaign. Get a view of what the campaign is doing right now. The election is not technically over. Can you tell us, Tim, what what are, because, you know, we, we're getting down into the minutiae. A lot of people are experience of elections, although 2000, I know there's some there's some uh, exceptions to this, but you know it's election night and then you get a transition and and then you get a, a president who either is the incumbent or a new president comes in in January. What, what you mentioned certification, you're talking about an extended process. What happens between now and and January in terms of determining, you know, when do we know that this thing is over and what does the campaign need to either say yes uh, you know, turns out Joe Biden did win or no, in fact, he did not win. I mean, you know, just, just give us a sense of what, what the process is here. We keep talking about process. What is the process? Well, it's state by state. There are different tracks in every single state. You know, ultimately, the Electoral College will meet and cast their votes and, and uh, determine who the president's going to be. And then the inauguration is uh, on January 20th. But prior to those things happening, uh, each state certifies the results of its own election. And so that's why we're in state court all over the place uh, going through these processes. And, uh, for example, we have, we have a, a lawsuit that we're dropping today in Michigan, in uh, Detroit, and, and part of that is going to be a similar argument about how there was disparate treatment depending on who you were, whether you voted in person or, or by mail, very similar to our Pennsylvania lawsuit, which I just discussed. But we also... There's a, a separate lawsuit that someone else has filed that is not connected to us that is actually very interesting uh, in which there, we have a, a whistleblower who has signed a sworn affidavit uh, who says that uh, he was ordered to backdate ballots, to accept ballots that were illegal. That would be post-election day. That would be too late to be counted. Uh, we also have a similar affidavit signed by someone in Erie, Pennsylvania, a postal worker 
has signed a sworn affidavit saying that his supervisor ordered uh, all of the workers there to backdate mail-in ballots. Uh, I also mentioned the the dead people voting in Nevada. That's a very serious concern. Thousands of people voted in Nevada who are evidently uh, ineligible to be registered voters in the state. In Georgia, and this is one of the things that we'll talk about as well, This is more of a statistical anomaly that just requires further investigation. Take a look at it this way. On Election Day, Joe Biden received 100,000 votes more than John Ossoff did. John Ossoff is the Democrat candidate for the Senate, statewide candidate in Georgia, just like Joe Biden was a statewide candidate. But Biden got 100,000 more votes than Ossoff did. That means 100,000 people went into the voting booth in Georgia and voted for only Joe Biden and no one else on the whole ticket. That doesn't make any sense, especially when you compare it to the other side of the ticket, President Trump. President Trump, compared to Senator David Perdue running for re-election against Ossoff, had virtually the same vote total, only separated by about 800 votes. Why is it that everybody who went into the voting booth to vote for President Trump also voted for David Perdue, but 100,000 people went into the voting booth in Georgia and voted for Joe Biden, but not anybody else. Very good question. That doesn't doesn't in and of itself prove anything, but that is a statistical anomaly that really cannot be explained. I want an answer to that. We want to dive dive into that. Can you tell us, and we're speaking to Tim Murtaugh, Director of Communications for the Trump campaign. Tim, can you tell us, what about this Michigan software glitch? Where's that? Yeah, that's going to be something that's also part of the lawsuit that we file later today. It's going to, we, we want to know what happened, and this is part of the discovery process. We want access to these machines and access to examine the software because what we have now is the anecdotal story of what happened in this one county, but we're also aware that this very same software was, was used in counties all over the place. Uh, in Michigan and and perhaps elsewhere, but specifically dealing with Michigan, we want to know and we want to be able to look at it. This is this is the thing. When the media says to us, "Oh, you don't have any proof," well, it's because the proof would be currently in the custody of the states, and we need access to it. That is the purpose of these lawsuits. People, the media wants to know, prove it. We had a press conference yesterday. Fox cut away from it and then cut away from Kaylee McEnany while she was there at the podium. And none of the other reporters would even write about it because they've already decided this thing is over. There's no fraud. And then they say, well, they demand our proof. And we say, look, we're explaining to you the steps that we're taking to gain access to the proof. And they don't even want to hear that. I mean, it's very much a parallel of the whole campaign where if it was bad news about Joe Biden, they just wouldn't write about it. They put pretended it didn't exist. And here you have the media that last week said there was no fraud whatsoever. And now they say, well, sure, there's a little bit, but, you know, we're not even going to look at that. So uh, how much fraud is acceptable to them? And why aren't they curious? I thought they were the great defenders of our constitutional freedoms here. And that includes, of course, the right to free and fair elections. But somehow the media is not too concerned. I think it's any minute now they'll go back to talking about how Russia uh, influenced the last election, but they won't talk about dead people voting in Nevada. Tim Murtaugh of the Trump campaign. Tim, thanks so much for bringing us up to speed. We appreciate it. Good luck to you. You bet. Thank you, Buck. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Some additional good news from the preventing the country from collapsing into socialism and misery front. We have Senator Joe Manchin, who is technically a technically a Democrat in West Virginia. 
But as all eyes right now are turning, well, at least anyone concerned about Congress will be looking at these Georgia Senate seats that are involved in the runoff for January 5th. You have Manchin already saying now this is just his word. Who knows? He could change his mind. We'll have to see. But Manchin saying uh, pretty clearly right now that he's not going along, even if there is a, a slim Democrat majority, he's not going along with their agenda in the Senate. Play three. When they talk about whether it be packing the courts or ending the filibuster, I will not vote to do that. I will not vote to pack the courts, I think, and I will not vote to end the filibuster. Brett, this system, the Senate was so unique body in the world. It was made to work together in a bipartisan way. And once you start breaking down those barriers, then you lose every every reason that we are the institution that we are, the most deliberate body. So I want to lay those fears to rest that that won't happen because I will not be the 50th Democrat voting to end that uh, filibuster or to basically uh, block, uh, stack the court. And then all the other things you're hearing about, Brett, also is defund the police. I don't know of any of the Democrats in the caucus that are for defunding the police. We're not for that whatsoever. And when they talk about basically uh, Medicare for all, we can't even pay for Medicare for some doesn't make any sense at all. We've got to fix the Affordable Care Act we have, and I think our Republicans, moderate Republicans, will work with us to now repair what needs to be repaired. There's still sanity out there, folks, even among Democrats. It exists. It's there. There is still a, a reasonable way to approach political questions. There's still ways to keep these fights within the system instead of trying to tear it down. Isn't it fascinating how for four years Democrats have leveled this allegation of Trump undermining our institutions? Just they just parrot it. I mean, they just do exactly as they're told. They mouth the preferred slogans of the DNC as if they're, you know, reciting Socrates in the Agora. I mean, it's madness. There's this crap that they say all the time. And they'll say he's undermining our institutions. And then you'll say, in what way? Well, he did this thing and we don't like it, you know. Well, OK, you you had a universal injunction from the Ninth Circuit, which is full of left wing activist judges. But all right. And then Trump went to court. That's within the system. You see, the same way that they use fascism, that the libs use fascism now as a term for anything they don't like, anyone they don't like fascism, fascist. They've divorced it from its actual meaning as a term. But in the same way that they will throw that around. They also now will will continue to talk about undermining institutions that the other side is doing while completely forgetting, ignoring, pretending that it's not their side that is actually engaged in the explicit undermining of institutions. Democrats are the ones that want to transform the way the Senate does business. They're the ones that want to pack the courts. They're the ones that are always uh, trying to get new states added to stack the Senate for themselves, right? They're trying to do all of these things. This is changing the rules of the game. What we do, what's going on right now with these uh, legal challenges, that's all within the system. That's within the game. They just don't like it. So they say it's undermining institutions. I mean, there's a fundamental dishonesty to much of the liberal critique of Trumpism. And I, I mean apart from the Trump is a racist and a white nationalist and all these other horrible 
really unjustifiable things that they say about the president, but they are not going to stop doing that. But but I mean, even based on the actions, what was the horrible transgression of the Trump administration for these four years? It's all it's all smoke and mirrors, friends. There's nothing there. What did he do that was so awful? They'll always resort to things that he said that they don't like that usually they completely misrepresent or just outright lie about. The worst thing that Trump did in his four years, according to the left, when you push them on it, always boils down to words they don't like. It's not really actions. It's not things that he did. What, the unnecessary war that he started that killed so many people? No, didn't do that. In fact, was always trying to stop us from doing that. You see, now even looks like the deep state has a problem with the president trying to end our military uh, occupation in Afghanistan, which is going on 20 years, outrageous. Should be done. Our guys should be home. That's it. Enough. Enough's enough. But it's always about the words that Trump uses, and that alone is enough of a transgression that they think it justifies saying anything about this guy. Whatever they have to say about Trump, they will say. And whatever they have to do to stop him is also inherently moral in their minds. So that's why... This attack on institutions uh, thing that they always say, I turn around and point out to them who's really undermining institutions, who weaponized the FBI, who destroyed public confidence in career civil servants at the DOJ. You know who they want, according to AOC uh, and, and that wing, you know who they want to be the attorney general under Biden? Sally Yates. Oh, that's great. Let's bring a Russia collusion fraudster and put her at the uh, at the top of the government. OK, that's a great idea. That's going to make people really feel like the DOJ is about law and not a political machine. Um, but they just said these things because they wanted what they wanted. There was never any principle under underneath any of it as we as we continue to see. So as long as there is a. Enough enough people in the Senate who are not completely insane on the Democrat side, which looks like just one. But as long as we have a, an ability to prevent them from getting to that bare majority to, to implement all these changes, we're going to have a just a, a really two years of gridlock, I think, which is assuming Biden wins a good thing. Right? Assuming Biden comes out at the end of this, there'll be very little that gets done and uh, people will be able to make their own determinations about what a a complete buffoon Joe Biden is. It's, it's amazing. It's really depressing. I'll be honest with you that this guy is in a position where he may be the next president of the United States, that he's the likely next president of the United States. It's sad that we have a country of 320 million people and this guy who's just a, a constant loser. I will say this. He is a, a, a bit of a, a beacon of hope insofar as you can be an intense mediocrity like Joe Biden in every way. But if you just stay in it long enough and then also probably have no scruples or self-awareness, but if you stay in long enough, you might get what you want. It's definitely true in media. A lot of people that are in the media that have big, successful careers, they've just been in the game a long time. People have heard them enough for enough time, watched them enough for enough time where it just becomes normal. And they go, yeah, you know, I, so-and-so. You know, I've been watching, I've been listening or whatever for 20, you know, 20 years or something. So I got to keep doing it. You know, really, you think your your local news anchor is 
some kind of a genius that you should be listening to all the time? I don't know about that, but some people think so. Staying in it, often all you need to do to win it. That's where Biden is. But Biden's declarations of this being over are premature, friends. Play 15. This election is over. It's time to put aside the the partisanship and the rhetoric that designed to demonize one another. It's time to end the politicization of basic, responsible public health steps like mask wearing and social distancing. We have to come together to heal the soul of this country so that we can effectively address this crisis. We're doing mask wearing and social distancing. You utter moron. We're doing it. It's being done all over the place. It's been done for months and months and months and months. Virus still spreads. Big surge over the summer. Virus still spreads. More masking, more social distancing. Where are the where are these studies based on actual trials of how effective this is? Isn't it fascinating that you see with the vaccine that's science? They're they're promising an outcome. They're promising percentages. They're producing data. They're opening into challenges, and there's credibility and accountability on the line. That's science. This mask stuff. This is this is just emotion, friends. This is theory. It may be true, but they're using the theory as this battering ram all the time for anybody who wants to say, hold on a second. The government has what power to do this now? And this is on all of us. Shut up, wear a mask or else. This is what we're always being told by people that, as we know, when no one's looking, they often don't wear a mask themselves. I'm, I'm not giving. Anyway, Biden said the election's over. I'm not conceding that at all. We shouldn't concede that. The Trump campaign's fighting on. That's what they should be doing, and I'm glad to see they are. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. I implore everybody who's celebrating the day to remember, it's good to be a humble winner. Remember when I was here four years ago? Remember how bad that felt? Remember that half the country right now still feels that way? Please remember that. Remember that for the first time in the history of America, the life expectancy of white people is dropping because of heroin, because of suicide. All these white people out there that feel that anguish, that pain, that mad because they think nobody cares, and maybe they don't. Let me tell you something. I know how that feels. I promise you, I know how that feels. If you're a police officer, and every time you put your uniform on, you feel like you got a target on your back. You're appalled by the ingratitude that people have when you would risk your life to save them. Oh, man, believe me. Believe me. I know how that feels. Everyone knows how that feels. But here's the difference between me and you. You guys hate each other for that. And I... Don't hate anybody. I just hate that feeling. That's what I fight through. That's what I suggest you fight through. Dave Chappelle over the weekend at Saturday Night Live. I didn't hear the uh, the rest of the show. I didn't watch the show. I don't like Saturday Night Live. I think it's generally just trash. And I mean that it's not funny comedy, never mind the politics. But that's what the beginning of a conversation about unity feels like it starts from a from a place of of empathy now dave Chappelle said some stuff during the blm movement that i disagree with i think is unfair um but 
That's his perspective. And he's clearly a Democrat. I think he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. But I will say that even just this message of stop hating the other side, stop it. That's and and speaking to Democrats about that, really, that's the beginning of a conversation. If you really want to talk about about unifying the country, we're very divided over uh, over some critical ideas. I mean, Democrats are never going to convince me just to pick one off the top of my head that their position on on babies in the womb is is anything other than barbaric and and evil. They're never going to convince me of that. But. Okay, there are other places where we're all just Americans and we can agree to disagree and we don't have to have the you know, knockdown, drag out fights. But I, I appreciated here that Dave made the uh, that Dave Chappelle made the appeal to everybody. Let's understand, you know, the other side, they, you know, Trump supporters have emotions and feelings, too, and they all have their view of what the country should be like. And th- this is the beginning of of making things just just bringing the temperature down a little bit if that's even possible which i'm not even sure it is right now i i think that increasingly it's just going to take time um and unfortunately i think for a lot of the left you know you'd hope that they will learn from the failures over time of their policies but look at california the california effect is playing playing out all across the country they took over what was a republican state with tremendous dynamism infrastructure i mean california is one of the most gorgeous places along the coast in the world it really is and an incredible climate and and arable land and there's so much about california beautiful mountains I mean, all this stuff they've got right and you look at all of this and they're destroying it i mean the democrat policies are ruining the state of california it's a place you don't really want to live anymore unless you're really really rich and then you just insulate yourself from all the bad policies But what happens, those Democrats flee. We saw this in this most recent election. They flee, they go to other places, and they don't take the lessons with them about what didn't work before. They think now they'll do it better. And this is one of the continuing fallacies of socialism and communism. I'm just going to say it. It's, you know, real communism has never been tried. Real socialism has never been tried. Well, to that, I also want to say, well, I guess real capitalism has never been tried either. We either can look at the way systems play out in reality all around us and look at history and try to learn from it, which I think is one of the core, one of the foundational mindsets for being a conservative in America. What has worked? What is true? And what can we learn from these things? But on the other side, uh, they continue to just say, we'll do it better the next time. Don't pay attention to this failure. You know, going forward, we'll figure this one out. Let's assume that it was a failure of implementation, not a failure of of ideology. So the California effect is something I think is very troubling, because what I what I meant, why I'm thinking about this with the Dave Chappelle comments about trying to just be take yourself to a position of put yourself in the other on the other side shoes. Right. And I know Republicans and I've been pointing this out, I think it's very valid Look how we've reacted to an election that was we thought we won. At least a lot of people did. I didn't. I was unwilling to say it. But we thought election night Trump was going to win. It looked like it. We wake up the next day and all of a sudden, no, he didn't win. There's no rioting. There's no looting. You know, that's that's a basic decency that should become the standard in our politics. And we should insist that the other side adopt that approach, too. There's really no leeway on that. There's there's not a negotiation to be had over whether there will be riots or not 
because people didn't get their political, their preferred political outcome. But, you know, there's a part of me that feels like even if Democrats get their way and we see how disastrous and damaging so many of their policies really will be, I'm not sure that they will learn. I, I think that the the ability for the left to self-correct is always limited. You could say their self-correction is self-limited uh, because of, of some of these ideas that have become very central to their thinking. One of them is that the it's never the results. It's always the implementation and we'll do it better next time. Right. If you're looking for a a a foundational flaw in left wing thinking, it's that central planning is a good idea and people should not have we should not maximize individual decision making and individual freedom for the benefit of all society. Notice maximize is not the same thing as a, you know, a libertine free for all, do whatever you want. No, maximize, always pushing for as much as we can in the, you know, in our lives to be determined by individuals at the micro level. Our whole system of government is supposed to, if you look at the vision of the founders, be built to that end. But Democrats come across with uh, they come across this time and again. And what their response is, is always some version of you messed it up or we weren't, you know, it's a little bit like the mask theorizing. Notice that when the numbers don't make sense for them with the masks, when they don't do when it doesn't flatten the curve in time, when it doesn't work as a, a countermeasure, it's because we didn't do it well enough. It's never that the idea maybe is fundamentally flawed. See, that's that's a I, I think it's something even deeper than just brainwashing and political ideology. I, I think that people who believe in this left wing thinking, they it's I'm going to say it's their brain structure, but it, it's so, so intrinsic to how they view everything that it's very difficult to, to pull them away from this. If only the smart people are in charge, making the smart decisions for all the rest of us, everything in society will be better. It feels like that's just hardwired in their synapses. Very difficult to get them to see who are the smart people. What evidence is there that the smart? How do we pick the smart people? How much authority do they have? Right. You start to you start to chip away at at the central planning ethos that's central to socialism and collectivism and, and these ideas that the Democrat Party represents. I mean, the Democrat Party in America, it's effectively the Socialist Party. We just call it the Democrat Party. I mean, you look in the, the case of Europe where there are open socialist parties and the difference between what they want and what the Democrats want is at best a matter of degree. In some cases, it's, it's not even really apparent. But th- these are the, the big ideas that we're going to continue to grapple with and try to Part of it is trying to understand the other side. Meanwhile, they're just going to look at us and be snide. Uh, They're going to say, you know, feel the burn, you know, stuff like that. I mean, speaking of comedians who are the absolute worst, uh, Stephen Colbert, here's one of his jokes. Play 20. After Biden's victory was announced, people everywhere in America flooded the streets from Times Square to Denver to San Diego to Miami to Atlanta. That is the biggest presidential rally of all time. Never a good sign when the majority of Americans react to you losing your job the way they did to us getting bin Laden. It feels like America is what's the word? Great again. See, that's a that's a smug jerk move. 
from a guy who does nothing to really help anybody these days. He, he just feeds into the machinery of Democrat political delusion, gets a big fat paycheck to do it and, and believes somehow that he's one of the good guys. Believes that what he's doing is worthwhile in America. And unfortunately, it's not. It's not just another voice saying the same stuff that all the rest on the left are saying. So that's one version of it. There's another which is just, you know, shut up and take it. Trump supporters. You get this from uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Play 23. I want to say to all those people who don't believe that Americans actually got out and voted. Let me say this to you. When you know who was elected four years ago, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't say, hey, wait a minute. This doesn't feel right. Stop the count. She didn't say this isn't right. I'm not going for it. she didn't say any of that. So all of you suck it up. Suck it up like we sucked it up. And if you are not sure that you're comfortable with Joe Biden, do what we did. Find things and then take it to the law. And if the law says it's something to look at, look at it. But from (laughs) now on, suck it up. Grow the pear for him that he can't grow for himself. Because this is ridiculous. You're not sure that he won. Are you bringing into question all these Americans who voted legally? So there's a lot of very sloppy thinking here from a political talk show host. I, I, I know. I mean, you know, had, has had quite a career. I don't really, I don't know. I will get into the, the she's a tremendous success story and I couldn't begin to understand exactly what the particular appeal and skill set would be, but she has been a, a tremendous success story. So there's that. Uh, paid millions of dollars to say very foolish things on television about politics. And here's just an example of what we're up against. She'll say things like Hillary didn't the, the assumption, really the, the assumption or the, you know, baked into this analysis is that Hillary didn't uh, refuse to accept. I mean, that's crazy, right? We all know that Hillary, the whole Russia thing was already going on with the deep state. The Hillary DNC paid for the dossier. They ran the ultimate dirty trick against the Trump administration and then tried to undo the Trump administration using a special counsel in the Department of Justice to do it. Running effectively would be, you know, Hillary cabinet appointees, people like McCabe, who clearly thought that his future was going to be either the next FBI director or maybe maybe director of the CIA or, you know, who knows? Use those people inside inside a Trump administration that he inherited to try to use the law against him to bring the Trump team down to maybe even prosecute the president of the United States or his family members. They did prosecute some of his advisors. You're going to talk to us about being good sports and sucking it up. No, not not taking that lecture from libs, not happening, not even a little bit, not even for a second. 